Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is building his church. Harvest Muskoka, what a blessing it is to be here with you this morning. Thank you for the privilege of uh, having my family and I come and minister alongside with you this weekend. We are very expectant for uh, God to continue to build his church and that the best days of his church are still ahead. Amen? Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that. I believe we're just getting started on this deal, okay? And so uh, thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for your encouragement for us over these last few months as we prepare for what we believe, Lord willing, will be a fall launch for Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa. And I just wanted to, you guys want to hear a little bit about what God's doing? Okay, cool, cool. Great, just checking. So here's the thing. I wanted to give you a snapshot of our most recent vision night that we had last month. You'll see a picture of it on the screen here. And so there is our group. What a good looking group, right? Amen. We got a good looking group there. Yeah, go Lord. Because as of last August, that picture was 17 people. God is building his church. And now there are people from Quebec in that core group. There are people coming from literally an hour away, both sides of Ottawa, because they're hungry, and God is stirring the hearts of many, and we believe there are many more in that city that are his, that he is calling to himself. And so be encouraged. Our next vision night is June 17th, uh, coming up in just a few weeks from now, and please pray. Your prayers are much needed. They're much appreciated, and uh, like we said in that video, without Jesus Christ, we're dead, right? It doesn't go anywhere. And so please continue to pray for us, and we look forward to, Lord willing, in the months ahead, being able to give you more updates of how God is building his church for his glory. Amen? All right, well, we wanted to share that with you, and uh, I can't wait to get into our text today. We want to share from Exodus 17, verses 8 to 16. The ushers are coming up forward now. If you do not have a Bible, make sure you put your hands up high so they can give you one. Let's get a copy of God's Word in front of everyone. And if you do not have uh, a Bible at home, please keep that one as our gift to you so you can keep studying God's Word on your own. Exodus 17, 8 to 16. And before we dive into our text, let's pray. Father God, you are building your church for your glory. You are building your church and the gates of hell will not stand against that. They cannot stand against that. Father, we take a moment right now to remember whose presence we are in, that we do not approach you flippantly. We do not approach you half-heartedly. And Lord, I don't know where everyone's coming from today, but I pray for those that are weary that they would find refreshment and strength and faith in Jesus Christ today. For those, Lord, that are hurting, Lord, that they would find healing and peace in Jesus Christ today. For those that are prideful coming in today, that they would feel the conviction of Jesus Christ through your Holy Spirit today and bow their knee before you in humility. Lord, I need that. I need that. And so I pray in Jesus' name you would come and say what you want to say. Pour out your spirit here. Be with my mouth. I pray that every word that is uttered be faithful to the eternal word that you have given us, Father. Come and meet with us for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
Amen. Exodus chapter 17, 8 to 16, the title of this morning's message is, The Lord is My Banner. The Lord is My Banner. Well, the human heart is an idle factory. Would you agree? The human heart is an idle factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts make them the center of our lives because we think these things can give us significance and security, safety, and fulfillment if we attain them. Tim Keller uttered these words, and in essence, what he's saying here is we are making these things banners over our lives. And you say, well, what what does it mean? What does that term mean, banner? Well, you'll see a definition on the screen behind, and it's this. Banners are the standards in our lives of what we are dependent on for our well-being. The standards in our lives of what we are dependent on for our well-being. And whether we realize it or not, everyone who walked in here this morning and the eight billion plus people on this planet are waving them every day. You see, the problem with all of these banners and the countless others not mentioned here is that they can, you realize this? They can all be taken away from us in a heartbeat. Where then would that leave you if that's what we're depending on? What then could you be dependent on in the trials and battles that you face? I mean, what hope do you think you would have? You see, what if I told you that there is only one banner in this world that is worthy of being the central standard that we live by, one that we can depend on to be our true shield that will never fail, will always protect, and will always fight for our good? Would you choose to depend on it if you could? If you could have that, would you choose it? Because you can. His name is the Lord. His name is the Lord. And right here in this text, we see the Israelites faced with this same choice. At this point, little background on this, at this point, the Israelites have just been delivered out of 400, we've got our minds around this, 430 years of brutal slavery and oppression from under the Egyptians. They've just been delivered just over 40 days before this, okay? 430 years. And now they're in the wilderness of Sinai, and they're about to engage in their first hand-to-hand combat battle with an enemy called the Amalekites. First battle they've ever faced. And it is here we see two crucial truths that we must live by if we are to uphold the banner of the Lord in our lives each day and see victory in the battles that we face. Two crucial truths, and the first one is this. When the Lord is my banner, I depend on him for victory. When the Lord is my banner, I depend on him for victory. Look at verses 8 to 11 with me. Israel defeats Amalek. 
Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, Amalek prevailed. You see in verse 8 where it says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. We'll see, Rephidim, remember they're in the wilderness here. Rephidim was the last stop that the Israelites had before moving on to Mount Sinai, where they would camp out for approximately 11 months at the base of the mountain. Okay, last stop before Mount Sinai. And that term there, you see, then Amalek came. Well, Amalek is just meaning the term for the Amalekites, okay? The Amalekite people. And this, these guys were desert, a desert tribe that traveled around. This is what they did for a living, ready? They traveled around and would regularly attack other people groups who were traveling and plunder them. That's what they did for a living. That's all they knew how to do. And so these were battle-hardened warriors that the Israelites were about to face. And notice in verses 9 and 10, where it says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. You see, Joshua, this is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the Bible. Okay, It's his first time he's mentioned, and he was Moses' trusted personal assistant who would lead the Israelites not only in this battle, but would ultimately be the one who would lead Israel into the promised land. So this is the first glimpse we get of God authenticating Joshua to take over and lead the Israelites once Moses had died. And you see there in the back half of verse 9, where it says, Tomorrow Moses said, I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. The staff of God was the symbol of God's presence and personal involvement. Presence and personal involvement with the people of Israel. This is the same staff Moses used when God delivered the plagues, the 10 plagues over Egypt. It's the same staff that Moses used when God parted the Red Sea. And just days before this, you see just at the first part of chapter 17, where Moses struck the rock with it and fresh water came out. What a miracle. Fresh water came out in the middle of the desert. This stuff is really happening. You ever realize that? This, is, this really happened. What an awesome God. What an awesome God. And you see in verse 11 where it says, whenever Moses held up his hand, this is a beautiful picture, by the way, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And you see Moses' lifted arms are a picture of a prayerful, can you see this? Can you see this? A prayerful appeal to God to fight for them in battle and a picture of the dependency upon the Lord that they needed in order to win it, okay? See, here's the reality they faced, the same reality for us today. Their strength, energy, knowledge, and zeal wasn't enough to win. Good intentions and effort weren't gonna cut it. 
Good intentions and effort weren't going to cut it. And the hands being lowered symbolized that when their dependency was placed on anything else but God alone, here's the reality, and the reality for you and me today, they would fail. You see, God was the hero of this story. Amen? God is the hero of the story. And he wanted the Israelites, it was so important, the Israelites acknowledged that right there. And this is why Moses and Aaron and Hur positioned themselves on top of the hill. See this? So that as the Israelites are in battle, they look up and they see where their dependency is coming from. They see whose battle it really is to fight, who the real victor is. And so, so picture what's happening here. Live in the text, live in the text, live in the text. Picture what's happening. Put yourself in the shoes of an Israelite right now. You've just come out of slavery just over 40 days earlier after being in slavery for 430 years of being oppressed, of being beaten, of being told what to do every moment. You have no weapons. Maybe you'd have a little dagger maybe some farming tools. You have no weapons. It's not like the Egyptians were like, hey, here's a sword so you can revolt against us. No. You have no experience fighting. You've never fought a battle before. You have no proven leader on the battlefield. Joshua is a rookie at this point. You have no experienced leader. And some of you may be asking, well, even so, even so, like, why would the Israelites have to learn dependency on God again? I mean, wouldn't they already know it? Wouldn't they already know they needed to depend on the Lord? Hasn't God already come through for them? I mean, come on, Israel. Remember those, like, those 10 miraculous plagues that delivered you out of Egypt? God was with you there, right? Right? You see that? He was already there. Or what about the pillar of cloud that is literally leading you step by step, which is the presence of God in front of you during the day. And if that's not enough, the pillar of fire, which is leading you by night, which is God's presence right in front of you. Right? Well, okay, okay. And if that's not enough, then there's that whole Red Sea thing. Right? Where God literally parted an ocean and crushed the greatest military of all time on earth at the time. Okay, okay. And if that wasn't enough, what about, what about the food you've been eating for over the last 40 days? Literally, manna and quail falling from the sky. God's with you. Why do you need to learn dependency on him again? Hasn't God already shown you that he's with you? Why don't you trust him? Okay, but before we jump all over Israel here, I have a question for you. Don't you and I do the same thing? Don't we? Don't we do the same thing? We've seen God work in our lives. We've seen 
evidence of his faithfulness and we begin to depend on him for some things and not others saying, okay, oh yeah, I get it. God came through in that circumstance with those exact dynamics and God came through there. But <laughs> yeah, what I'm facing now is way bigger. It's way bigger. And, and you know what? I don't, I don't know if I can trust God because he came through there, but it doesn't look like it did there. And so I don't know if I can trust him here. So I'm thinking I might be on my own on this one. I better start depending on myself. Don't we do that? Right here. Maybe it's just me. Right here. So much. Let me drive this down deeper here. Think about that situation you're facing right now, that you faced when you came here today, that you know will be waiting for you when you go home. Think about that situation. Even write that down on your sermon note right now. Just what is it? What's that situation? And my question is, what banner are you raising over it? What are you depending on? Who are you depending on? What's the situation? What banner are you raising? Some of the things that came to mind as I was preparing this week were, what about that marriage that is hurting and the conflict just seems to keep increasing? What about as parents the weight and responsibility of being parents in raising your kids that so often, I testify to this, can feel so heavy at times. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, and you've given me four boys, <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing. And they're a blessing, but the responsibility of being a faithful dad, I can so easily raise my own banner and try to change my kids. What about, you know, the struggles with your health that you've been struggling with year after year and it doesn't seem to be letting up at all? Whose banner are we raising over that? What about the financial problems that you are faced with or, or the worry, doubt, or anxiety or fear that continues to cripple you? And you're like, I don't know how to beat this. I keep giving into that, giving into that. Whose banner are you raising over it? And maybe, you know, maybe there's some of us here to say, what do I need to depend on God for? I've got all the money and stuff I need. I can depend on my money because I can just buy my way out of what I'm facing. What banner are you raising? And careful here, careful here, loved ones. As we take our eyes off the Lord, it's such a, it can happen so subtly, such a subtle shift. As we take our eyes off the Lord, it is not long before we begin to doubt God's faithfulness and begin to depend on ourselves and our strength as the keys to victory in the battles that we face. And you see, you see, our flesh always wants you and I to believe that the keys to victory must come from ourselves. But God has a different plan, amen? God's got a better plan. He's got a better plan. He's got keys to victory. And unlike anything else that we depend on, ourselves or the resources around us, his keys always, know this, know this today, always his keys will prove true. His keys will always prove true and they will never fail. And right here in the text in verses 12 to 13, we see four of them. He gives us four of them. Here it is, verses 12 to 13. Let's read together. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone... Aaron and Hur, and they put it under him. 
and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. You know, so four keys to God's victory. The first one that we see here in verse 12 is this. Admit our weakness. Admit your weakness. Admit it. Look at what it says in the very start of verse 12. But Moses' hands grew weary. He recognized his hands were growing weary. And right here we see Moses knew that he was incapable of doing what was required of him during this battle. Okay, he's like, I can't keep my hands up. And as we go on to see in the back half of verse 12, this battle, you notice how long it goes on for? Until sundown. This would require him to have his hands raised all day until sundown. Keep in mind, Moses is 80 years old right now. Okay? He's got to have his hands up, and God chose until sundown. And he could not have the victory if he depended on his own strength. It wasn't going to happen. Endurance or his own resources. And the same is true for us today. We live, but you see, see the culture around us, church? We live in a society that says this. You'll see it on the screen here. Right there. Just do it. Right? Right? Just do it. You can do it. Just work harder. Put more of an effort in. You can do it. Just strive a little more. Burn the candle a little more at that end. Right? You have the strength to succeed. You've got it in you. You can be a self-made man or a self-made woman. Don't we hear that? It's all over the place. But Jesus, who is God himself, says this. I hope you see the contrast here. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do it. Just do it. Try her. You can do nothing apart from me. Are we seeing the discrepancy here? And you see, God's first key to victory is for us to admit that we can do nothing without him. That's where everything starts. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. In our weakness. The world's key to victory is hide your weaknesses. Act like you have it all together. Just try harder. God's key to victory is admit your weakness. Admit your weakness. Which one sounds easier? The flesh will fight us on it. Four keys to God's victory. Number one, admit your weakness. Number two is this. Embrace God's people. Embrace God's people. Look at verse 12. Moving on. But Moses' hands grew weary... So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. See, Moses needed the other Israelite leaders, Aaron and Hur, to come alongside and to help support him through this battle. He needed them. If they didn't help support Moses, this battle was going south quickly. And just like them, Loved ones, just like them, you and I were never meant to fight our battles on our own. 
ever. It's not God's plan. And, and hear this, write this down. This is so, and the enemy works so hard to discredit this. But one of the greatest weapons God has given his church is the ability for his people to fight together. One of the greatest weapons God has given his church is the ability for his people to fight together in him. Isn't that awesome? I love Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10. It says this, two are better than one. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Exclamation point. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. And a great, this is awesome. A great part of this, you notice this? A great part of this is that we don't get to choose who God puts around us. Did you choose all the people who would be coming here today? No, we don't get to choose. Praise the Lord, right? Because he's such a good father. He's gonna make sure that he puts around us the people that he will accomplish his purposes in our lives through. Look around you. Look around. In fact, turn to the person on the left or right and say, that's you. Yeah, that's you. That's right. You didn't choose this. God's building his church with whom he chooses. Right? And are you, here's a simple question right here. Are you embracing God's people? Are you embracing God's people? And you say, well, wait, how do I, how do I know if I'm doing that? How do I know that? Well, here's just some test questions. Are, are you in a small group? That's a huge step of doing life together so you can get known, so you can get loved, so you can have people lifting up your hands when you are going through that time and you can be that for someone else to pray for them, to love them, and to care for them and bear their burdens with them. Are you on a service team? Coming together, serving, using the gifts God has given you to see the church built up and come alongside your brothers and sisters in doing the same. Or are, are you humbling yourself for prayer and asking for prayer from those around you, maybe even after the Sunday services or in the lobby or wherever you are and embracing the people around you as your brothers and sisters in Christ? There is no plan B. That's God's plan A for his church. And you see, loved ones, I have to say this. The church, the church is the family. It's his bride, and it is the most precious thing in his sight. So it's no wonder the enemy works so hard to steal and kill and destroy us from being a part of it through gossip, through a hurt word, that, a hurting word that was said, through selfish, listen, listen, I'm not perfect. I've let people down, I will continue to do so. Not intentionally, but I'm not perfect, and neither are you. And sometimes we get hurt. And if, I just have a special burden right now, if that's you, 
And you're like, I'm going to put one foot in the church. I'm going to come on Sunday and then bail because I'm terrified of people getting to know me. So they're going to hurt me. If that's you this morning, I just want to say, God sees and God knows what you're going through and his plan A is still for you to embrace his people. Don't give up. Don't give up. Embrace God's people. And here's why. Here's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this so poignantly and so soberingly. He said this. He said, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin is over him. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin will be over him. That's why the enemy works so hard to divide the church. Because he knows the power in the name of Jesus when God's people come together and fight. He can't touch that. So the world's key to victory is do it yourself. Do it yourself. Be the individual. God's key to victory is do it with others. Two are better than one. Four keys to God's victory. Number one, admit your weakness. Number two, embrace God's people. Number three, receive God's provision. Receive God's provision. Look at verse 12 again. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. Here it is, ready? So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. You see what happened there? Moses had to receive the provision that God gave to meet the need that he had. He had to receive it, right? And it's so easy to say, well, wait a second, wait a second. Well, of course I'm going to receive God's provision. Why would not? I'm asking for it. Why wouldn't I receive it? Careful, careful, right? Many times, hear this, many times God's provision doesn't look like what we want it to or what we think it should look like. Will we still receive it? See, imagine this. Imagine if Moses is like this. He sees Aaron and Hur coming. Here's God's provision of, of Aaron and Hur coming alongside to lift up his hands. And he goes, really? Really? Guys, you're, that's the best you got? I'm 80 and you're sitting me on a stone all day? Really? You think I could get some blankets out of this deal? And what about this? I'm in the middle of a desert. Why not bring a glass of water? You're just lifting my hands? Imagine if Moses had rejected that. What would have happened? His hands come down. Israel loses. See? And here's the thing that hit me. Don't you and I do the same thing? Don't we do the same thing of God's provision for us? You know, this just, this just, we fall into the same trap. And I'm falling into this. I just was falling into this recently. We're buying a van, Lord willing. So our van is great van. It's almost kaputs. And uh, so we prayed about a budget. We want to be faithful stewards with what God's given us. So, hey, Lord, what's the budget? So my wife and I felt firm that, that we had a certain amount we could spend. So we go online and let me tell you, let me tell you, the uh, vans are pretty simple at that time. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's much van to get, Right? For that amount. And then you start looking on the you start looking on the page, right? And you see all these other vans. And you're like, 
Oh yeah, you know what, God's provision. Will the leather seats clean up spilt milk and Cheerios and kid puke way easier than the cloth ones? So I think actually I'll take that one. And then, oh yeah, going back and forth to Ottawa, need the DVD player, have to have it, right? Just have to have it, that's a game changer, right? So then all of a sudden, there's God's provision here, and I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, you know what, I want this. I want this, I want that, right? Like there, pastoral vulnerability right there, big time. And then, <laughs> right? And it wasn't no surprise the next morning I'm going through, uh, I hit Exodus 20, the 10 commandments, <laughs> and I run over, thou shalt not covet. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> there it is, there it is, come on, right? Boom, Lord, give us your provision. Just give us your provision with joy and a thankful heart. And so often we end up rejecting God's provision for us because it doesn't look like we want it to or think it should. And why does God do this? I mean, why doesn't God just give us what we want, how we want it? Why? Here, Pastor Robbie says this. It's one of the most penetrating things he's ever said to me. And it's this. Write this down. God will often withhold from us what we want. God will often withhold from us what we want so that he can give us what we need so he can produce in us what we need, okay? I love Philippians 4.19, it says this right here. It says, and my God will supply every need, not want, not desire, every need of yours according to what? His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Godliness with contentment is such great gain. And God will only give us what, he, what is good for us because he's a good, good father. It will only be for our good. So the world's key to victory is, have you heard this slogan? Have it your way, right? You heard that one? Have it your way. God's key to victory is receive it his way. Receive it his way. Four keys to God's victory. Number one, admit your weakness. Number two, embrace God's people. Number three, receive God's provision. And lastly, number four, persevere in God's strength. Persevere in God's strength. Look at verse 13. It says this, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. See, even though the Lord had already given the provision for the victory, right? Moses' hands going up. The Israelites, notice this, they still had to fight through the battle. They still had to fight through the battle. And we're not just talking about a few minutes here. It's not a quick fix. Okay, God gave me the provision. It's all done. No, no, no. They fought till sundown. See that? They fought till, they still had to go through the battle, the hard time, the trial, the struggle. Hot climate, feeling worn out from walking the last 40 plus days, feeling overmatched by your enemy at times. They still had to go through the battle to produce in them what they would need. And I wonder, loved ones, how many of us here today are facing a situation where we wanna quit? Where we just wanna quit because it feels like we can't persevere anymore. How about in that addiction you're struggling with? It's like, I just wanna give in, the fight's too hard, I've been struggling for years. Or giving into that temptation time and time again. You just wanna quit. It's too hard, just let it have its way. What about the family struggle with your spouse or your children or your, or your extended family that keeps going on and seems to just be getting harder? Be encouraged with this. 
J.I. Packer said this, so true. Your strength cannot fail while God sustains it. Your strength cannot, not even will not, it cannot fail while God sustains it. Those who persevere in the Lord. I love James 1.4. Check this out on the screen. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, producing in us what we need, not lacking anything. You see that? Those who persevere in the strength of the Lord will have no lack. No. Be encouraged with that today. I'm encouraged with that today. The world's key to victory is just quit when it gets hard and your strength fails. You know what? Just get the divorce because everybody's doing it today. And you can get another spouse. Just quit when it gets hard, when the love wears off. Right? Just, just quit your church when you don't want to come under its teaching anymore. I mean, there's another one on the corner. Why sit under conviction? Just quit. Just quit that relationship that you have with that person. Just quit the job because you just don't like it. And it's just too hard. You see, world's key to victory is quit when it gets hard and your strength fails. God's key to victory is persevere in his strength because it cannot fail. Persevere in his strength because it cannot fail. Whose banner are you raising? See, when the Lord is my banner, I depend on him for victory. And when the Lord is my banner, not only will I depend on him for victory, but also, last point for today, I resolve to remember his victory. I resolve to remember his victory. Look at verses 14 and 16. 14 to 16, pardon me. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is My Banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Notice, notice the two key things that God tells them to do and that are so important for us to remember to do today. Ready? Look at verses 14 and 15. A. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, and Moses built an altar. You see, the first thing God tells him to do is remember. Remember. Use it as a memorial. Build the altar. God wanted to ensure that the victory he brought the Israelites that day would not be forgotten from one generation to the next. And this altar built wasn't your typical one that we think of with altars. This wasn't where they burned sacrifices on in worship. This altar's specific purpose was remembrance and thankfulness. Okay? Strictly so they would remember what God had done. And notice there the second thing. So remembers the first one. The second thing God asked him to do is to recite. Recite. See what he says? Write the memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. Say it again and again. And it was so important that they remembered who it was that brought them the victory that day and the promise for victory in the future that God was going to blot out Amalek. Why was this promise so important? Because they would face Amalek again. And it wasn't until King David, when he finished wiping out the Amaleks, that this promise was fulfilled. And notice this. Notice this beautiful statement in this last part of our text today. 
And Moses, verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. See the Hebrew word there for banner? The Hebrew word there for banner means a signal pole. Think about this. It's not these cloth things you see like Toronto Raptors all over the place. It's a signal pole where troops rally around, where military troops would come around. When they'd see that pole go up, they'd know they'd rally around that. They would regroup and receive instruction. And what Moses is saying here is saying, God is my standard. This is the standard. And we will rally around him and depend on him for victory. See, with Moses having the staff raised above him, it was the picture, notice that this is awesome, it was the picture of Moses having his hand on the throne of God. Why? Because the staff symbolized the presence of God. God literally sitting on his throne, fighting for his people. Moses' hand on that was the picture of his hand on the throne of God. (laughs) That's awesome. Right? And how quick we are to forget about what God has done in our lives and the promises he's made to us for his faithfulness in the future no matter what's ahead. Take courage in that. And while Satan is always trying to get us to pick up the banners of this world and trying to get us to doubt and forget what God has done and what he said, listen, listen, listen. God calls us to pick up his banner. Right here. God calls us to pick up his banner and to resolve to rally around it in remembrance, in remembrance around him and his faithfulness of what he's done in our lives, regroup in his promises and receive his instruction that will see us through no matter the battle in front of us. Amen? This is our signal pole. This is what we need. This is our signal pole. Make no mistake, loved ones. Make no mistake. Remembering rightly, write this down, remembering rightly is a crucial battle in the fight for our faith. Remembering rightly is a crucial battle in the fight for our faith. Because here's why, here's why. Because remembering what God has done in the past gives us the faith for what he can do in the future. You see that? Remembering what God has done in the past gives us the faith for what he can do in the future. He will never leave you or forsake you. I have to hang on to that every day, especially in this season. See, and there is no one here. You say, well, wait a second. I don't see God's faithfulness. There is no one here who can say that God hasn't been faithful to them in their past. You say, I don't believe all this God stuff. Really? Okay, well, take a breath and then thank the Lord that he just gave it to you. Start there. There is no one on earth out of 8 billion plus people who can say God has not been faithful to them in their past. And so how about you? 
How about me as we close out today? How are you doing in taking time to remember what God has done for you in the past and opening his word daily to recite? Here's your signal pole right here. Here's your banner to recite the promises that he's given to his children. You see, this is what it means to live with the Lord as our banner each day and to help keep our dependency upon him. Because here's, if I could sum that whole section up, it'd be this. Our remembrance fuels our dependence. Our remembrance fuels our dependence. No wonder, if we're not remembering what God's done, being in his word, remembering his promises, no wonder we go off track. Because our remembrance fuels our dependence. And if we aren't doing this, our faith begins to fail, our dependency begins to shift, and another banner will get raised that will ultimately fail us when we need to depend on it the most. They can't bring victory. Only Jesus Christ can. That's it. Why, why, why is this? Why do we shift so quickly? Because our hearts are idol factories that long to depend on something, and they want, here's the sobering reality, this is our nature, They want to depend on anything but God. That's the sinful nature. That's the fight inside of us. That should sober us today. And what we depend on, loved ones, is ultimately what banner we raise. What we depend on is ultimately what banner we raise. And unlike Moses, the presence of God for us today is not found through a wooden staff but it's found through a wooden cross. Amen? God's presence is not found through a wooden staff. It's found through a wooden cross where God's perfect son, Jesus Christ, died to pay the penalty for our sin and to bring us salvation for all those who confess him as their Lord and Savior and who choose to make him the banner over their lives. And simple, straight up, most important question of your life right here, have you chosen to make him the banner over your life? Without him, we have no hope. Everything else will bail out because it's not going to last. He will. Every time. And it is through Jesus Christ alone that we can, too, approach God's throne. Look at Hebrews 4.16. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Hebrews 4.16, says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne. Hand upon the throne, right there. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. How awesome is that? How awesome is our God? You see, Jesus died on that cross so you and I would never have to be alone again in the struggles, trials, or battles that we face. Are you in a time of need this morning? Right there where you are, are you in a time of need? I am. I need my Savior. I need to run to him and approach him with confidence. The question for you this morning is, How will you respond to him? And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, the Lord's word for you this morning is come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Stop running. 
those banners you're raising, the things you're depending on, they will utterly fail you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He's a good father. He's a good father. Will you respond to him today and wave his banner? And if you are and you've confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior, if you've done that, here's my challenge to you this morning is this. Are you daily putting your hands upon his throne in dependency and resolving to remember his faithfulness? Is that you this morning? Is that me? Because we can have our hands, we can have our hands raised like Moses. We can do that. We can raise our hands right now like Moses and be on the battlefield like Joshua. But there is only, and I repeat, there is only one hero of this story that can ever bring us victory, and it is Jesus Christ. There is only one hero of the story. It's not you, it's not me. His banner is the one that we raise for victory. And that is Jesus Christ. And when he is our banner, we depend on him for victory, we will resolve to remember his victory, so that he is glorified in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a good, good father. Thank you that you are enough. We don't need a wooden staff for God's presence because we have a wooden cross that, Father, you gave your only son to die for us, to pay the penalty of sin that we so deserve, God's full wrath being satisfied upon your only son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, it is his banner that we raise. The Lord is our banner that will see us through for victory, that will give us our satisfaction, that will bring us the peace that we are so desperate for, to bring us the healing, to bring us our faith, to bring us the humility that it takes to walk before our God and say, the Lord is my banner. It is in him I trust. And so, Father, I don't know where people are at today, but I pray so much, Lord, that if there is anyone here that is yet to confess you as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of their salvation and they would take their first steps today to walking in the freedom and victory of Jesus Christ. And Father, for those that may have confessed you as their Savior, I pray so much right now that, Father, they would recite your promises and remember, give them clarity of remembrance, give me clarity of remembrance of what you've done in our lives. Your faithfulness, none can fathom. You will never break a promise. You only work for our good. So come, come now, pour out your spirit. And as we sing this last piece together, I pray it would be an anthem of our hearts, a cry of our lives to say, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Everything else is sinking sand. In Christ alone, my fears are crushed. In Christ alone, the peace is given in Christ alone the healing happens because you're a good good father and you will never turn anyone away
Come, Lord, come now, we pray. In Jesus' name, seal this word in our hearts. Amen.